Shabbat Shalom. Um, I will be reading Psalm 16, verses 1 through 11 from the complete Jewish Bible. Protect me, God, for you are my refuge. I say to Adonai, you are my Lord. I have nothing good outside of you. The holy people in the land are the ones who are worthy of honor. All my pleasures are in them. Those who run after another god multiply their sorrows. To such gods I will not offer drink offerings of blood or take their names on my lips. Adonai, my assigned portion, my cup, you safeguard my share. Pleasant places are measured out for me. I am content with my heritage. I bless Adonai, my counselor. At night, my innermost being instructs me. I always set Adonai before me. With him at my right hand, I can never be moved. So my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, and my body too rests in safety. For you will not about abandon me to Shoal. You will not let your faithful one see the abyss. You made me to know the path of life. In your presence is unbounded joy. In your right hand, eternal delight. A number of us uh, attended the funeral of Sue Heck's brother. And uh, it was quite an experience. I must say this is the one of a kind for me. Uh, we heard uh, wonderful stories about Fred, her brother, little brother, and uh, all kinds of wild stories from his playing buddies. He seemed to be a best friend to everybody. Uh, and uh, we were presented with someone who seemed to have uh, indomitable courage, just something wouldn't quit, uh, entered all kinds of energy and desire to live, even after he had uh, sustained a broken neck, became a quadriplegic, he never complained. And I mean, that's pretty significant stuff. Um, I think it's somewhat natural for most of us to complain when we are in difficult uh, circumstances, and uh, it's pretty incredible also the impact that he had on people who loved him and were willing to go to the ends of the earth for him. Um, and yes, I do believe that he will live on in the memories of those who love him. It's, it's a heavy loss, and uh, Sue, so we grieve with you and your family. And we're proud of you for standing for the Lord and challenging folks to consider Him and uh, complete with messianically, politically correct language like Yeshua Mashiach. Yes. I imagine some of the folks looked at you as if you were um, being down from some strange planet. But... Uh, we were, those, those of us who were hearing uh, were pumping our fists and saying, yes. 
You know, this has been the second funeral for for us in in uh, a couple of weeks here, and uh, the grieving process, folks, is actually something that God uses to bring about growth and maturation in, in our life. In fact, you know, the way that you and I handle losses says a lot about our health and our spiritual maturity as a body of believers in Yeshua. Why? Because there are opportunities for God to go deep with us and to develop spiritual character and strength. I know this is somewhat backwards to the way most of us think. Scripture tells us that in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory and Messiah, after you have suffered a little, and I know we sometimes think about suffered a little, Lord, uh, maybe to you it looks little, and to us it looks big enough to drive a uh, truck through. After you've suffered a little, he himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You know, knowing that sustains us. As, as we go through life, and we have sustained some significant losses during the past few months, it's been hard. I'm certainly not going to stand here and plaster a, uh, put on a plastic smile and say, don't worry, be happy. I'm grateful that scripture speaks, that the Lord speaks to us in reality and honesty, that he doesn't expect us to play some sort of game where we take reality and, and, uh, put it in some kind of a uh, machine that brings it totally different on the other end. When it's hard, it's hard. How do we persevere? How do we persevere and hang on? Not only hang on, but how do we press forward? And uh, I'm reminded again and again, folks, that the kingdom of God advances in the face of opposition. You know, you make a commitment to God and say, yes, Lord, I will do this, I will do this, I will take a step of faith. And it seems like you stepped on, on the landmine. As if everything just went kaboom. And um, so the tendency is to say, well, I shouldn't, I, you know, Lord, I, I didn't hear you. Um, I was hallucinating. It was the pizza I ate last night or Forgetting the fact that God doesn't run away when we are in the midst of difficulties. He doesn't bail out when we want to bail out. And so our commitment is to do what we've always endeavored to do, and that is to put the Lord squarely on our sights and wait for Him to do the work of healing and restoration that He's so good at. Part of that is that we bulldog the truth of Scripture that reminds us that the Lord is able to sustain and strengthen us. And you know this psalm is such a powerful example 
of a man of God who is determined to stick to God like glue. And when things get difficult, to go deeper, to sink his roots deeper into the Lord so that he will receive, derive his needed strength and life from the Lord. That's what Psalm 1, by the way, talks about, that the man or woman who meditates on the Word of God and feeds their brain and feeds the Word of God into their operating, into their computer, remains green during times of drought. And that's a miracle. We see here in this psalm that the person, probably David, was going through some sort of a crisis. In, you know, in fact, if you look at some of these verses, it's clear that he was facing some grave difficulty. Particularly, uh, verse 10, you will not abandon me to, sh- to the grave, to Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. I mean, a, a person, think about that, folks. A person who says, you will not abandon me to Sheol, and Sheol, by the way, the grave was the place of the dead, has this basic sense or perhaps fear that the grave is a possible outcome for him. He wouldn't just say, Lord, don't abandon me to the grave just out of nowhere. Perhaps he was facing some kind of mortal danger, and we know from David's life that that was in fact the case, that for a period of 13 years, his father-in-law, Saul, was out to get him. His father-in-law sent assassination squads and had the entire army of Israel looking for him. So David could be describing his own life here, but you see what what he is saying. He is not parking on, on the danger. Yes, the danger is there. The danger is reality. He is not parking on that. Where is he parking? He is parking on his commitment and confidence in the Lord. Why? His statement is very simple. You will not abandon me to Sheol. And because of that, verse, a couple of verses before, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The Hebrew word for shaken there means to totter, to shake, to, to slip, you know, something that you do uh, when you have a lot of snow and ice, or perhaps being uh, in some kind of an earthquake. And um, the psalmist here is talking about a situation where there's a whole lot of shaking going on. To borrow a very famous line that dates me, of course. You know, for the psalmist, bailing out is not an option, as it isn't for us. Yes, we live in very uncertain times, and we've heard, we hear about people being killed, we experience loss, and all of us can yield to fear and unbelief. Think about it, folks. We're always confronted with 
a basic, uh, two basic choices. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to depend on Him? Will I derive what I need from Him? Or am I going to press the, pan- the panic button and freak out and live in fear? We cer- certainly can do that. And if we were to go around, I would, I'm sure we would find out that everybody here will say something like, I've been there, done that, have at least one or two t-shirts. It's an easy route to take, but it's a slippery slope because it takes us downward, folks. Fear and unbelief always take us downward. Because we are focused and obsessed about the mountain of difficulties, choosing to ignore the fact that God is greater than the mountain, and that he can speak to the mountain and say, go away. We know that the Lord is dependable. Because of that, the psalmist says, you know, what keeps me, what keeps me sane is the knowledge that the Lord is there. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I look to be protected from you. Therefore, I have the right to ask. The Lord is his security as it needs to be our security. But ask yourself the question, when you run into difficulties... What gives you security? You know, if you were to write something down in honesty when nobody else is looking, what would you write down? When a tidal wave would seem to to be coming, would you be looking at yourself and say, I'm going to tough it out? Would you be looking at other people and say, they're good, strong folks, I'm going to lean on them? What is your security? Scripture tells us that anything and everything that we lean on that is not of God, that is not God, will cause us to be disappointed. Scripture refers to Egypt, for example, that Israel was uh, wanted to bring into alliance against Assyria. These guys are a broken reed. In other words, you lean on them, and guess what happens? You fall down along with them. And part of the process, when we look at the fact that God is sovereign, God is in control in all situations, if we grasp that and we understand that in all circumstances, He is at work and that He wants to go deep with us. To put it in in a different term, the Lord wants to take us to bare metal and we're not too eager to go there. In this day and age, bare metal doesn't mean a whole lot because if you have an accident, you go to an auto body shop and they undo a few bolts and then stick on a, another panel. Uh, in the old days, and I, I know this goes back to the uh, couple hundred years or so, if you, went, if you had a problem with your vehicle and you took your car to be repaired in an auto body shop, they would take the sander, and st- some places still do, and get rid of all the cracked and chipped paint of all the rust 
and bring it right down to the clean metal and then proceed to build up from that point on. Because there were defective layers that had to be removed and replaced. And folks, the reality is that in each one of us, there are defective layers. I know this is not complimentary, not very PC. But in each of us, there are defective layers. That God alone knows and understands. And He wants access to those defective layers. He wants to take us into bare metal. Why? Not because He's sadistic and wants to see us suffer in pain. But He wants to rebuild and restore and cleanse and fix all the things that need to be restored and cleansed. That's why He wants to, to do that. And elsewhere, it's stated in a different, using a different picture, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Then a few verses later, this is in John 15, 1 to 2. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Why is God interested in bringing about the pruning and the cleansing in our life? So that we can be more effective in bearing better fruit. You know, and if you're a gardener, you know exactly what Yeshua was talking about. I love to garden. That helps some degree of sanity in, in my life. And um, I like to grow roses. And especially during this time of year, after the winter has passed, or it's about to pass, please, Lord, may it happen soon. Um, some of the branches didn't make it, and you have to come with a pair of shears and cut them off so that the rose, the rose plant would grow and be healthy and be productive. And that's what God wants to do with us, folks. There are things in each of us that hinder productivity, hinder us from being fruitful, producing the kind of fruit that God wants. And instead of fighting him tooth and nail and trying to figure things out and control things, part of our learning to grow into maturity in the Lord means that we welcome him to come and bring about the cleansing and even the pruning. Th then that we don't, we don't put some kind of a shield, uh, a Velcro shield between us and God and say, God, you're not welcome to come here and poke around. On the other hand, if we truly trust God and have our relationship based on the foundation of complete trust in the Lord, then we say, yes, Lord, come. Because we know and understand what Yeshua says, that our Father wants to do good things for us. Yeshua stated it this way, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, to those who seek him? This is Luke 
11. You know, without that foundation of trust, we, can, we cannot in any way, shape, or form really welcome the Lord without reservations, with, without qualification, but instead we come to the Lord grudgingly with an attitude that says, okay, you've backed me into a corner, I have no choice but to come to you, and furthermore, if I'm not careful, you'll do something awful to me, so I have to keep my eye on you to make sure you don't do something that is hurtful and painful to me. I have to have control. And the process of yielding control to the Lord is a steep learning curve for all of us. Very steep learning curve. And it's a tough discipline. But the Lord is very patient. The Lord is a very patient teacher. And if our hearts, the basic reality for us is wanting to get closer to God, wanting to grow in maturity in Him, then He'll come back to us again and again and address those issues. And He will say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Are you willing to take refuge in me? God shows us that He is trustworthy. And we need that in good time. We need that in, in difficult times. And the truth is, all of us, every single one of us, folks, experiences crises of one kind or another. If you talk to people who have been in ministry, all of them will tell you that sooner or later they run into, they hit the wall. crises that are clearly beyond them, but at the same time, on the other hand, there are defining moments that, yes, they test us, they test who we are, but they mature us as long as we respond and say, Lord, yes, come, please come, please bring about the cleansing and the healing and the fullness that you have. knowing that God is faithful. David knew that. David knew that. In 13 years of being chased from pillar to post, God saw to it that he was protected. So yes, we understand that God is keeping David safe, and we trust that he will keep us safe as well. But the greatest benefit for us the greatest benefit for us is not, not merely safety and protection. Greatest benefit is the fact that we know who God is. We want to stick to Him like glue because everything that is good flows from Him to us. You say that, amen? Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting sa shadows. And yes, we all kvetch, we all gripe at the Lord. Uh, Lord, why did you hand me these particular cards? Couldn't you give me a different set of cards? 
By the way, when I was growing up in Israel, playing cards was considered a sin among the believers. And so I never learned to play cards. But, you know, I've, I've been inducted into the uh, card-playing uh, fraternity slash sorority here. And, and the truth is, to, to, to put it in those kinds of terms, God isn't merely the one who deals out the cards. He is the deck himself. Everything that is good comes from him. And, and David gets it. He says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary places have fallen from me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now you can look at that and say, this is positive thinking. You know, you look at, at circumstances, everything is miserable. And like our dear brother Gary used to say, you thank the Lord for those miserable situations. Thank you, God, for this absolutely miserable, horrible situation. And uh, he and I used to argue. I think at this point he knows who is right. <laughs> and that's not me. And yes, we give thanks. Not necessarily because we like all the things that we go through. That's not reality, folks. God doesn't expect us to, uh, to, to play mind games. I love the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is because David and, and the writers of the songs, these songs, fetch loudly to God. Lord, what's going on here? I'm dying. Where are you? Everybody's coming and wanting to take bites out of me. And you don't seem to be noticing or caring. That's in, that's in Scripture, folks. And so, as long as that proceeds from some degree of a respectful heart towards the Lord, we have confidence that the Lord listens to us even in those times. But the bigger picture here, folks, is that in the midst of all of these situations, we learn to stick to God like glue because everything that we have comes from Him. We see Paul expressing the same reality. In Messiah, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you've been given fullness in Messiah who is the head over every power and authority. Language there suggests something that is past action with ongoing consequences. And it's a mystery, but what it simply tells us is that you and I, because of what Messiah has done for us, because of the Father's good plans from way back, something took place here. This is being worked out in us so that everything that we need in order to persevere and press on is given to us. Why? Because of the presence of God. 
And this is what we saw in the tabernacle, folks, by the way. The tabernacle was placed smack dab among the tents of the tribe of Israel. And that was a very significant point because the Lord wanted to say, I am to be in the central place in your life. And as you looked at the tabernacle, as you looked at the camp of Israel, your eyes were drawn to the presence of God as it was displayed in the tabernacle. Especially when you saw the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. Everything was about the presence of God. The table with the bread was, is called in Hebrew, lechem apanim, literally the bread of the face. All that was designed to say to the Israelites, life is about me. This psalm is a huge billboard to everyone who reads it that because of the presence of God we persevere we're not shaken but it's a choice it's a choice folks it's a choice when we're confronted what do we do David says I have put the Lord always before me in a very conspicuous place not somewhere off in a corner but in a very conspicuous spot. You know, just like if you have a table, you work somewhere, you, you have family and friends you want to see. For example, for me, part of my work environment is having the picture of joy and Isaiah and Hope and Sarah, my grandkids, that I, I can see right there that helped me remember, helped me maintain perspective. And that's what the Lord wants from us, is that we put Him in a high place in our life, in a central place. That as we do that, we experience His peace and joy in the midst of all the turmoil, all the excitement that takes place. David puts it this way, you have made known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. What does it mean to have fullness of joy in God's presence? I mean, that, that sounds like such a, an esoteric, uh, mystical kind of a concept. What, what does it mean to have fullness of joy? By the way, the Hebrew word there for fullness, sova, has the sense of being satisfied until you really have no more need. It's usually something that's connected to food or water. You know, if you've been thirsty, been out in the sun for a while, and you come in parched, and you get iced tea, and you drink and drink and drink until you're no longer thirsty. That's kind of the imagery, kind of the picture here. You're satisfied in the presence of God when you come and hang out with the Lord you are f refilled. You know, life tends to drain you and the Lord fills you up and equips you for with everything that you need to deal with reality. 
David puts it elsewhere. He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Being in the Lord's presence means that we are kept steady and steadfast because the Lord keeps us. I don't know where this finds you. I know a number of us have been struggling with loss and of one kind or another. When life gets intense and you don't know what's coming around the bend, you know, and, and, and uh, you, you wish you had the ability to somehow look around the bend or look up ahead and see exactly what's going to happen so you can prepare for it. The truth is, you can't. The only one who can and who knows the full extent of our struggle is the Lord. He knows what's going on out there as far as circumstances. The Lord knows what's going on in here in our personal internal battles. And we simply have a choice to make. What will be our security, our means of persevering? Will it be us trying to say, you know, I'm somehow going to control and manage it and see to it that, that everything comes together? Or are you going to relinquish control to God and say, Lord, not about me. Not about me. And say, along with the psalmist, Lord, you have made my lot, my destiny secure. And no, I don't know what's coming up ahead. You do. And I don't need a road map that shows me everything, every single step that I'm supposed to take. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you that what you have said is something I can take to the bank for good money. As Paul in Philippians tells us, he who has begun a good work will complete it. You look at your own life and what God has started to do with you, and he is not going to pitch you like a bunch of junk. He is going to complete what he's begun. And part of the process is saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you that you will take and fulfill and complete everything you've begun in me as an individual and in me as part of this body, part of this mishpacha, that you didn't bring me here just for grins. You know exactly what needs to happen. You know what you've given me. You know I need to receive. I also need to give. I need to contribute. I need to build your kingdom, not man's kingdom, your kingdom here, because you're the one who brought me here, and you have plans, and I will see to it, and you will see to it that those plans are fulfilled. Because of that, my destiny is secure. And as you tune into that fact, and as you grab hold of that reality, then you can put the Lord at your right hand, which is the place of honor, the place of prominence in your life, and know that because of that, you will not be shaken. Yes, we get rattled, but God keeps us. And in a world where there's a lot of shaking going on, 
we learn to persevere, we learn to press on, we learn to, to do what God has put before us. Because we know it's all about Him. Let's pause and pray. And would you please stand? We praise you, Lord our God and God of our fathers. We praise you, Lord God that in you we live and move and have our being. We thank you, Lord God, that as the earth quakes and the mountains slide into the sea, that you're there. That we have the confidence that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble and difficulty. We bless you, Lord God, at all times. Because you're worthy to be blessed and praised because you are trustworthy and faithful. You're the God of chesed, ve'emet, the God of covenant, love, and integrity. And we praise you, Lord God, that in all circumstances we know that we can lean on you. Lord God, we pray, I pray for each person here today. Lord, you know our circumstances. You know our situations. You know where we've been during the, this past week. You know our struggles. And we bless you, Lord God, that you're greater than our struggles. We pray, Lord God, for each of us that you would renew our vision. Lord God, that you would... Open our eyes and cause us to see you at work and cause us to see how we fit within your plans and purposes. And we ask, Lord God, that you would equip us by your spirit, that you would supply the needed measure of faith and courage to persevere in what you have put before us and in perseverance Lord God, to bear the fruit that you have ordained us to, to bear. Lord God, we trust in you. And we thank you, Lord, that indeed you who have begun a good work, that you will complete it. We thank you, Lord God, in the name of Yeshua. Amen.